This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. We shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. That is Psalm 127, three through five. Guys, 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 I am back in the studio. I'm back, baby. I mean, this has been the longest break that I've taken from recording in the history of this podcast. We started this podcast back in 2017, if you can believe it. And when we had our first kid, I took a little bit of a break, you know, got a bunch of stuff ready to go, but the podcast is much bigger now. We've expanded, you know, we've doubled, excuse me, the double, double the number of episodes that we do normally and all that. And so I have not been in the studio for a very, very long time, but you guys didn't notice that. You know why? Because I gave y'all like 16 interviews in a row, two a week. And again, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. But that takes a lot of effort. I mean, I've been basically from December through like February. I was like, all right, busting my tail to make sure we got all the content done. Because with every interview, there's, you know, reading the books, listening and watching their other interviews, you know, kind of formulating an interview that I think is going to be interesting, not only to me and not only to the person doing on the other side of the interview, but to you guys, obviously. And so it took a lot of effort, a lot of work, but it was totally, totally worth it because we love doing what we're doing here at Undaunted Life for you guys. But I am back. I'm going to be consistently doing the episodes, so you'll still be getting your interviews on Tuesdays and your other episodes on Thursdays. And next Thursday, we're going to talk a little bit about some format changes uh, to get a little bit more content in because I'm asked about topics constantly. And, you know, in a podcast format, if I'm not doing a Q&A, it's kind of hard to get to a bunch of different things. So stay tuned for that next week, and we will give you some more info on that. And just a little advertisement here from the very, very top. Guys, the only way that we're able to sustain operations here at Undaunted Life and the only way I'm able to feed my kids And I've expanded that number here recently, and we'll get into that, is because we have donors. So we have money, we have a little bit of money coming in with advertising, but the overwhelming amount of what we do here is supported by direct donors like you guys, like a lot of you guys in the audience. So I would ask you to go to undaunted.life backslash donate. That is our donation page and become a monthly donor to us. If you like our content and you want our voice to continue to be elevated above the other voices in society that have more money and have more followers and all that, this is a way that we get that done. So go there. We have guys giving as little as five bucks a month and all the way up to 500 bucks a month, but we support you guys. We love you guys very much. This is how we're able to do that. So please support us back. But I'm going to go all the way back to episode 134 of this podcast. Okay. That was titled Sweet Baby James. And that was about how on May 7th, 2020 at 1250 AM, my first son was born, James Kyle Thompson. And I kind of explained to you guys like kind of how we do the naming in our family. Essentially, the father gives his first name as a middle name to the firstborn son. Okay. So my name is Kyle David Thompson. 
Okay. My dad's name is David. His dad's name was Glenn. So he's David Glenn Thompson. So obviously I handed James my first name as his middle name, but James Kyle Thompson. We love the name James. There's not like a family significance to that. We actually found out after we picked the name, it was the most common, yeah, popular boy's name of the last 100 years, which we weren't a huge fan of, but he is James. He's not Jim. He's not Jimmy. He's James and Anyway, that's it on the name. Yeah, that, that's about as interesting as I can get on the name. But he was born at seven pounds, three ounces and about 20 and a half inches long. And when I recorded that episode and released it, he was only a week old. And so, you know, in that episode, I talked about a lot of different things, a lot of different feelings, kind of talked about the labor story, how we went and, you know, it wasn't time for her to be held there, but she was, my wife was in a tremendous amount of pain and how she had two different epidurals. I don't even know if I talked about this last time. She had two different epidurals and neither one of them worked. And so she was in excruciating pain the entire time. And anyway, it was a bit of a mess, but the, the, you know, my son came and it was all good. And then we kind of get into, we got into some other things about, um, it, but I'll get into some more stuff later on the podcast about stuff that happened with James, but on March the 9th of 2022. Okay. It's about a month ago at 1 11 AM. Our second son was born Elijah Jack Thompson. So let's get into that name a little bit. Again, there's no family significance to the name Elijah. That's just a name that we really, really like. We'll probably be referring to him as Eli or baby Eli a lot. And uh, we've got a nickname for him that I'll tell you about here in a second. In terms of the middle name, Jack, that's what my wife desperately wanted to name our son, but both sons, actually, she loves the name Jack. I hate the name Jack. Part of the reason is because I'm stupid and I know a lot of people that are named Jake and Jack and I can't keep them straight. Whether I trained jujitsu with them, went to high school with them, or they're a pitcher on my favorite baseball team. I always have to stop and pause and be like, okay, is this Jack? Is this Jake? And also like a lot of you guys out there, I still have that inner 11 year old in me. And if a kid's name is Jack, well, there's some things that you can do with that name to make fun of somebody. So I just was never really a big fan of it, but we decided to make it his middle name because I never actually have to refer to him as his full name, except for on this podcast and maybe on his diploma. So Elijah Jack Thompson, he was born again, 111 AM on March the 9th, seven pounds, six ounces, about 20 inches long. So he's about the same size as sweet baby James. And as of the recording of this, he's just over a month old. So we've got to spend quite a bit of time with him uh, because, you know, like I told you guys, over the last month and even the month before that, I wanted to make sure that I was freed up so that I could help out with James. I'm basically exclusively on on baby James duty these days so that mama can take good care of Eli. But I do want to tell you about the labor story. So, uh, and don't worry guys, it's not going to get gruesome. You're not going to have to hide your kids, but it's just interesting kind of how this all, uh, you know, came down. So for any of you guys that have had wives that have maybe experienced birth or gone through that whole process, there's that always that anxiety. If you're not doing an induced labor and you have a date for a C-section or something like that, when you're doing, you know, vaginal birth, um, you're always a little bit, uh, uneasy towards the end. Cause you're like, Hey, are these contractions birth contractions or am I just having contractions? So there's something called Braxton Hicks, which are contractions that are basically false contractions. My wife had those for both babies pretty much for the entire pregnancy. So she's three months pregnant and she's having contractions, right? They're not incredibly painful, but she's definitely contracting. And so we get to a point where, okay, these contractions seem serious enough. So we take her to the hospital. You know, uh, we have somebody else pick up baby James from, from daycare and we're at the hospital and she's in pain that uh, they check her and they, they do all the different tests and all that. And she wasn't dilated far enough for them to keep her. Right. And so uh, for, for those nurses and those doctors, it's like, look, you can be at this uh, state uh, for weeks. Right. And so we don't want to, you don't want to, you know, kind of keep you here because you're not going to keep you here for weeks, especially if things don't change. But, you know, we're at, you know, a couple of weeks before before his actual due date, you know, she's in pain, whatever, but they're like, sorry, we can't keep you. So we get down to the car. My wife's in excruciating pain and a lot of contractions and we don't even get 
two miles down the road and she starts getting very, very sick in the car. And, you know, she's trying to give me the hand signals, like turn around, let's go back. I call, I call the the nurses and we come on back and we go up there and wouldn't, you know, it, she had, you know, progressed along to where they could actually keep her. So it was a little bit of a rough uh, spot there to where it's like they sent us home whenever they could have kind of kept us, uh, but they kept us there and all that. But all the while that this is happening. So even before we left the hospital, the initial time, I start feeling a little bit sick. And some of you might automatically think, oh, you're probably just nervous. I know what nervous sick feels like, like I, at different points in my life, whether it's, you know, in a, you know, life or death cons or, you know, construct, or it's, you know, with being nervous about a sporting event or something like that, I'm about to compete in. Like, I know what like butterflies and nervous stomach, I know what all that is. And that's just not what I was feeling. But in that moment, I'm, I'm there to support my wife. I'm there to support the things that are going on and doing the things that I can do, which is very limited, but trying to make sure I crush the things I'm actually able to do. Right. But I'm just progressively not feeling well, not feeling well, sick to my stomach, right? And so here we are, we're in the labor room and, you know, she's, she's hooked up and she's got the nurses coming in and out. And we're just kind of waiting for things to progress along and I'm just getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. And so I go to the bathroom to what I think is going to be Ralph everywhere. And while I'm in the bathroom, uh, the nurse and my wife are having a discussion and my wife kind of asked the nurse, they're like, Hey, should, should he be here right now? And the nurse, it was almost like it was a cathartic thing for her because she had been thinking it the whole time. She's like, no, if, if he's really sick, like he, he's got to go get checked out somewhere because if he's got some sort of uh, a flu or, or COVID or something else like that, that's manifesting these symptoms. Like he can't be around you. He can't be around the newborn baby, that kind of thing. So I come back out of the bathroom and, you know, we have that discussion and my wife's like, Hey, I really think you should go. And I'm thinking the same thing. Cause it's like, I don't want to get my baby sick, you know, right when he comes out of the womb, that would be terrible. And so we're on the sixth floor of this hospital building, Mercy hospital in Oklahoma city. And there's a couple options here. I could go to one of these clinics that's around uh, because it'll be a lot cheaper, or there's an emergency room in the basement of the building that I'm in. And so we make the decision, I'm going to go to the emergency room in the same building. And so go down the emergency room, just kind of speed the story up a little bit. They're running all kinds of tests. They're testing me for everything because they understand, you know, hey, I'm about to go back up there and and be around a a baby and all that type of thing. And so I'm hooked up to all these machines. Essentially what they say is like, look, there's a 24-hour stomach bug that's going around right now. Um, You know, that's very, very very likely what you have. So they they gave me some medicine through an IV and they've got all kinds of things hooked up to me and whatever. Then I get a call from my wife, right? I've got my phone in my hand the entire time. And she says, babe, the doctor is on the way. The nurses are telling me, keep my legs closed because you know, baby's coming. So I'm having this conversation on speakerphone. And as it's being said, as my wife is saying these things, nurses just start unplugging crap, right? So they're just unplugging me. They're taking my IVs out. They're doing whatever. Like, Hey, you didn't get all the fluids, but you know, get back up there because from their perspective, they're like, you're good enough. Uh, We don't think that you should just not be around them. And so I go upstairs. So I get back upstairs and I get there basically just in the nick of time because five, 10 minutes later, our son's born. Elijah Jack is here. It's this great, overwhelming, awesome situation, but I'm still feeling terrible even though I I got all these fluids and I I think it was Zofran or something like that. I can't exactly remember what they gave me. I'm feeling terrible. So after the initial kind of 30 minutes of, you know, watching the nurses do their thing and the doctor do do their thing, my wife suggested I just kind of in that stupid little chair that they put next to the bed, that's super uncomfortable for the husbands, uh, or whoever's going to be sitting there during the pregnancy or during the, the labor and birth. Um, She's like, how about you just roll over and try to sleep? And so I roll over, take like a hour, two hour nap. I wake up, I feel worse, right? So at this point, the nurse and uh, the nurse basically says, you can't be here. You've got to leave. And I'm not mad at her. I'm like, I get it. And so here I am at about 
I don't know, four o'clock in the morning. My son has just been born and I'm driving home trying not to puke all over myself, right? I live about 30 minutes away from the hospital. So make it home, go to sleep, wake up. I feel better. I'm a little weak throughout the day. Clearly this was a 24 hour stomach bug thing. So, and this is all going to crescendo somewhere guys. So hopefully the story is entertaining for you. So I don't actually get to hold my son until a day later. Because when he was born, you know, he's on mom doing, you know, the skin to skin or whatever that is. And, you know, it, it was great. And I had already fallen asleep and it was, it was a problem, right? I didn't get to hold my son. So when I'm feeling better, realizing that this bug has kind of made its way through my system, I go back up to the hospital. Again, he's two days old at this point. And I'm so nervous because this is my, my second son. And it's just like, you know, they're so small and it's like, I just, I'm so anxious. I just, I just want to hold him. I just want to hug him. I just want to, you know, see him and all those different things. So I get in the room, I open the door and my wife's holding our baby. And I'm like, the very first thing I say is I go, Oh, squish. Like, Oh, look, he's so squishy. Right. And it was just kind of a funny thing because, you know, newborn babies are kind of squishy. Right. They, they, they just, they're pretty squishy, right? Because, you know, they're not really terribly formed and they're, they're not super rigid at that point. They're just kind of like, you know, floating around a little bit. And so what's funny about that is my wife and I just started referring to him as squish and it's just kind of stuck. So here we are. That's why the name of this podcast is Squish Thompson, because here we are, you know, four or five weeks later, we're still calling him Squish. Now we're also calling him Elijah. We're calling him baby Eli. We're, we're calling him all those things. So little man may have already gotten his nickname. So I don't know if Squish is a good nickname. I don't know any other people or, or, or babies that are called Squish, but for now it's stuck. And so it's, it's always cool to have a nickname. Uh, and it's even better when you don't even get to pick it out and people just thrust it upon you. So that is uh, basically a story of how we got Elijah Jack Thompson Elijah Jack Squish Thompson to the planet. But just like I did on episode 134 when I was talking about Sweet Baby James, I want to go over some some random thoughts that I've had over the last four or five weeks. Because again, since I wasn't recording, I just had a lot of time to kind of sit and think about, you know, kind of what I'm what I'm doing and where I'm at and kind of what we're doing as a family. And so I want to kind of give you some reflection and I hope these will be helpful for you, uh, for you and your life, whether you have kids or you have a young family or grown kids, doesn't really matter. So the first thing that I want to kind of talk about, and some of these will be the same from whenever I did it with James and some of them will be different, is the random emotions that you have. So with neither kid did I immediately start crying when I saw the baby. I think I told you last time, um, I didn't have that feeling that a lot of dads at least say they feel like the moment they see their firstborn kid, their entire life changes, their entire you know worldview and, and everything's different. I didn't really have that experience right? It was, it was an overwhelming situation. It was an emotional thing, but I didn't feel like I was, uh, like my whole life had basically readjusted. It was, it was like, Oh, it was almost like things got more intense. Things got more serious. It's like, Oh, things weren't serious a second ago, but they're serious now. That, that was kind of uh, the, the feeling that I felt, but something that happened. And, and again, I'm, I'm not sure if I talked about it on this podcast or not. So if I did, uh, it'll be a repeat for some of you, but at six weeks old, we had to basically have emergency surgery on sweet baby James. Okay. So he's having some intestinal issues. We thought there was intussusception happening, which is where your, um, your, I guess, oh God, doctors out there are going to be like, Kyle, you're an idiot. But it's basically where the, the tubing of your organs is like, you know, suctioning in on, on itself. And, uh, it's kind of like telescoping in and it's, it's potentially fatal. We thought that was maybe going on. There was a hernia down there. There was all kinds of things. And so for the first six weeks of James's life, I knew intellectually that I loved him. 
but I didn't feel the rawness of the emotion of love towards him until I handed him off to a nurse to take him back to go have surgery. And we're thinking, you know, he may not come back, right? So it's a dangerous thing for a six week old to have surgery. Right. And that, that feeling of love whenever he was back in our arms, like that was an incredible emotion. And so with, with the second kid, you know, people kind of make the joke, like every subsequent kid, you don't care as much and you let them do more stuff and you don't feed them the right stuff. It's just whatever. But it, it's almost like, you know, we've elevated the emotion in our household because our, our ability to love has been expanded. And you've heard a lot of people say that, like you think you can't love anymore and then you have another kid or maybe even before that, then you get married and you're like, okay, it was all self-love and positivity. And then you get married and it's like, oh my gosh, I have this tremendous amount of love for another human being. And with every child that, that becomes expanded. And so that's been kind of an interesting thing in our household is just kind of the random emotions with everything. And, you know, we'll get into some more here in a second. The other thought that I was having, or another thought that I was having, is that my wife is still a natural. I, I talked about that in the, in the first one. Again, some women take to, to being a mother uh, like a fish in water. Like that's just something that they really take to. Other women kind of struggle. I'm, I'm happy to say and to report that my wife, Kelsey, she's an absolute natural at it. Right now, that doesn't mean that there's not issues. That doesn't mean that there aren't times where, you know, there's, there's frustration and there's, you know, stuff that's going on to where it's like, Hey, we wish we had a a better idea about, uh, you know, how to do certain things. And there's still confusion and, Oh, is, is he actually uh, tired right now? Or is he just fussing to be fussy or, you know, does he have gas or does he, is he hungry or those types of things. But it's just amazing to see how naturally she's taken to the motherly role, because that's something that's just not really obviously natural for most guys. It's certainly not natural for me. I do a terrible job of consoling children. That's just not really my bag. Give me your kid when they're like three or four and they just want to rough house and wrestle around and you know, we'll go do that for hours. You know, I'll be like the, the living jungle gym, but it's great to, to know that I've got a partner that's right there and she can do all those things that, you know, are, are, would be a struggle for me. It's just really, really cool to watch. And it makes me love my wife even more. Another thing that I've kind of thought through is just things overall that are different with a second kid, just that are, that they're just different. Now, some of you out there that have kids and a lot of you guys in this audience have kids, you know what it's like when you go from zero kids to one, right? Cause even if you have a dog, even if you have, you know, uh, animals on your farm or ranch that you got to take care of, it's different when you have a kid that's part your DNA, part your wife's DNA. It's just different, right? But When you go from one kid to two kids, like obviously you're going from double coverage to man coverage, right? And that's kind of what my wife and I have done is, you know, I've basically been exclusively taking care of the almost two-year-old James, and she's almost exclusively been taking care of the newborn. Some of you guys might have some issues with that. We certainly have some crossover care uh, so that both both kids feel loved and feel, you know, like they get some experience with with their parents and all those types of things. But for the most part, that's what we're doing. And one thing that I talked about that's maybe different than last time on the last episode where I talked about Sweet Baby James is that um, learning to avoid the freak out. So in that episode, I forget how I worded it, but it was like, I think it was learning to control the freak out. And so, because it was like, you know, when you're changing the kid's diaper and he's screaming and oh crap, he just peed on the wall and oh no, the poop got on the countertop and like, what are you going to do? And like, I would just kind of short circuit and freak out a little bit. So I was like trying to figure out how to do that. But this time I'm learning to really avoid the freak out. So in the times when I'm changing the the new baby's diaper, like I'm used to changing the two-year-old's diaper. Those things can be chaotic, as most of you guys know. But with a you know, newborn, it's very different. And she's not eating solid food, but it's a little bit runnier. It's all the different things, right? 
And so I'm, I'm just, I know what's, what's to be expected in that situation. I know what's going to be happening for the most part. And so I've learned to kind of avoid the freak out a little bit. Another thing for my wife and I, without getting into all of our, our life details, you might seem like you, <laughs> it's already been TMI up to this point, but just smarter planning for my wife and I, and even leading up to the birth of Elijah, we were just kind of like, okay, here's some things that we're definitely going to do different than the first time. Here's some issues that it caused in our household when we didn't do this the first time. So we're going to do it this time, realizing, yes, it's going to be different because we've never had two kids before. You know, not every baby's the same, but we, we've been able to plan a lot, a lot better. It's a lot smarter for us to kind of figure out what's going to work well for us. The other thing about that as we've got a lot of people, especially in our Sunday school. So our Sunday school is, is fairly large and just about every family in there has four kids. Like the weirdos have three kids, right? And so we have two and we, we're, we're probably going to stay there, you know, just doing with the, the two kids thing. But we've had a lot of parents in our life that are still relatively in our age range that have some experience. And so we've been able to ask questions and we've just been able to watch and see how they take care of their kids and some things that they do. And again, for them, by the time they're having their third, fourth, and some of them fifth kid and so on, it gets, it can get pretty significant, like the different planning and, and trying to juggle everything. And so that's something that I feel like is different with the second kid is because, you know, with the first kid, there's so much focus on it. You know, there's all the baby showers and it's just everyone's taking care of mama and taking care of both of us. But you know, the drill, when someone has their second kid, you're like, Oh yeah, that's great. What a blessing. Then they have their third kid. It's like, yep, that's another one. And then they have their fourth one. It's like, okay, okay. What are you trying to prove here? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? And so we get all this attention with the first one. We moved on to the second, but it is still cool to kind of see the the love and and everything that we're getting from people. We're still getting uh, loved on by people, bringing us food and wanting to come over and just hold the baby for a bit. So that's pretty awesome. So it's good to see even with the second kid. Another thing that I've kind of thought through over the last four or five weeks or so is this overwhelming desire to focus or I guess figure out rites of passage and and figuring that out, the, the desire to figure that out has been majorly amplified over the last four or five weeks. Because, you know, when you're thinking about having kids, you're like, oh, maybe I want a boy, maybe I want a girl. And, you know, you kind of have your preferences and then you end up having your kids. And here we are, we've got two boys now. So we didn't get a boy and a girl, which is maybe what my wife would have preferred, but we got two boys. And the thought of these two boys growing up to be knuckleheads is just completely poisonous in my brain. I'm like, we can't have that. And to a degree, I can't control that outright, but I'm going to have a tremendous influence on that. And no one's going to have a bigger influence on that than me or my wife, if I can help it, right? And so this is maybe going to not change the, the direction of undaunted life because, you know, to, to a degree, we're, we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. I feel like we're hitting the bullseye on the stuff that we're shooting for a lot of the times. But I partnering with people that are doing rites of passage stuff for boys, you know, we talked with John Tyson. I've got some other connections uh, that are kind of working on those types of things. But again, societally, we do not usher young boys into young manhood and then into manhood. We don't do that. We don't welcome them into manhood. We don't explain to them, hey, now you are a man. This is why you're a man. This is what uh, you're going to be good at as a man. Here are the things that you're going to struggle with. Now, here's also the expectations and responsibilities that we have on you as a man. Again, we self-actualize as men in our culture. You get to figure out when you become a man. Maybe it's the first time you have sex. Maybe it's the first time, you know, you buy your own car. Maybe it's you know, when you graduate high school. Maybe it's when you graduate college. Maybe it's, you know, you get to figure it out, right? We, we don't 
tell our sons, especially in the Christian church, we don't really do that. I mean, Jews, they, you know, they have their bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and, and those things. And so they kind of let their young uh, boys and young girls know whenever they've elevated to that position of manhood or womanhood or whatever. But that's something that I really want to, to kind of get to bedrock because to a degree, you know, my son, you know, my eldest isn't even two yet. And the firstborn or the secondborn is obviously a newborn. And so there's years to go before these manhood lessons are going to make sense. I mean, sentences don't really make sense to these kids at this age, right? And so that's something that I really am kind of amplifying my viewpoint on. I don't just want my my focus on manhood for these kids to be centered around once or twice a year going camping or, you know, me showing them how to fix a certain thing around the house, which I'm terrible at, uh, you know, in large part anyway. Uh, it's not just going to be reading books. It's not just going to be that. It's going to be a combination of a lot of things. So that is kind of really amplified what I want to do there. And so for you guys listening to this, if that's something that you want us to help kind of figure out, let us know because we're very market driven at this, uh, you know, at this ministry and at this podcast. If you want us to do something, then we'll, we'll look at it. But if nobody in the audience wants it, it's not something we're going to mess with. Another thing that I've really thought through is, the desire to protect my sons from, you know, the predations of modern society has been majorly amplified as well. Because again, if you pay any attention to the news at all, there's constantly something to be outraged about. And one thing that I try to do is I try to take myself out of the news cycle. I try to like sit back, put my phone away and just kind of think through, okay, this is what the media that I follow is telling me what is the media that I'm not following telling me, what are they communicating about this situation? But also what's really happening here? What's really going on? Because we're getting a version of the story. We're not getting the story, right? So, so how do we get to bedrock? How do we kind of figure that out? But the one thing that is very, very true is that the degradation morally of our society is going at breakneck speed. Because if you've done any reading of history and, you know, when I talked to Andrew Clavin uh, here recently and had him on the podcast, this is a guy that's very learned. And so he doesn't have these big sways of emotions by stuff happening in modernity uh, because he's read so much history. And he's like, yeah, you know, this something similar happened back in the 17th century and something similar happened back at this time. Like it's, it's really not that big a deal, but the things that are a big deal are a big deal. And so on that podcast, we talked about the transgenderism issue and he thinks that is a bedrock cornerstone issue that is going to affect American society. And he's absolutely spot on with that. And so the things that we're seeing right now, it's not just, Oh, you know, uh, don't be worried about public schools. You went through public school and then things were fine. Right. But yeah, we had not had the transgender revolution. Whenever I was in school, I graduated high school in 2004. We weren't talking about, nobody knew what a transvestite was when I was growing up. And that was the word you could use. That was the colloquial term you could use. Like no one really knew what a tranny was. That guy that wears a dress. Cause we didn't talk about it. We certainly weren't introduced to these concepts as five, six, and seven-year-olds. And make sure you tune in for next week's episode because we're going to be talking about, you know, the the Florida parental rights bill. We're going to be talking about Disney. We're going to be talking about groomers. We're going to be talking about all that. So you're not going to want to miss next week. But that's the thing that I'm really, really amped up and amplified as I'm thinking about is there are so many things that are going to be in the ears of my sons that I'm not going to be able to control. But that is not an excuse for me to throw my hands up and say, well, I guess I can't control anything. Go on to public school. Hopefully nothing goes wrong. Oh, yeah. Watch whatever you want to on television. Hopefully nothing goes wrong. Oh, here's a brand new iPhone that's unlocked with no filters. Oh, here's, you know, a laptop for you to have in your room with full access to the Internet. Oh, here's a PlayStation where you can access the Internet as well. No, 
just because there are going to be things that seep into my son's life, whether he sees it on someone else's phone or he accidentally sees it or something that I haven't viewed first and then he gets to view it and then doesn't talk to me about it. That is not an excuse for me to just give up as a parent. Okay. So my desire to protect my sons has been elevated to an extreme degree, but I'm not going to protect them from everything. I'm not going to protect them from, from hurt or heartache or, you know, tough life lessons. Like I'm actually excited to, to be a little tough on my boys in those areas. And so is my wife. She's in a lot of ways more of a gangster than I am, if you can believe it. But the things that they can't control, like the, the potential sexual grooming of them at school you know, sexual predation of predators, um, these ideas, the LGBTQ ideas, anything's from the woke agenda, this idea that somehow because they were born with, uh, a, you know, certain level of melanin that they are an oppressor. Those are things that I'm not going to stand for. And there's a 0% chance I'm going to let my sons be affected by those things in a negative way. Again, if I can help it. Another thing that I've thought through over these last four or five weeks is just the desire to be a sheepdog has majorly been amplified. And so that, you know, goes back to the thing I just talked about, you know, being vigilant and all those types of things and being a protector. But also when, when I see these dads around that say they love their kids and they, they say they love their wife. And yet it is so clear that they've done nothing to put themselves, put themselves in, in the mental or physical space to be able to protect them. It makes me look at them a little bit of scant, like, mm, yeah, you love your family. But you don't have a gun in the house because your wife thinks it's scary. Okay. Uh, You don't know how to fight. You think you know how to fight or some people know they don't know how to fight. And you think that's okay. So in a scenario where somebody is violating the Imago Dei and the Imago Dei that is written on your wife or on your children, and you would be unable to intercede in that moment, do you actually love your family? And like, if you can't protect them, what exactly are you doing for them? Hopefully providing, you know, paying the bills and and taking care of everybody and doing the financial planning and stuff like that. Like, that's great. Every man should certainly do that. But what if you can't protect them? And one thing about being a sheepdog, again, it's not just physical. It's not just putting hands on people or, you know, being in a uh, home defense situation where you're potentially using your firearm to end the life of somebody that's a threat to your family. It's the mental attitude. It's not sitting there on your phone looking at fancy football statistics or playing some sort of video game or whatever, but watching what's going on at the playground while your kid's playing. Is somebody there that looks a little bit out of place? Is somebody there that's been there for a while and you've not seen a single kid come up to him knowingly, right? Like, hi, dad. Hi, uncle. Hi, grandpa. Are you paying attention? How about the signs that parents talk about whenever one of their kids is, uh, you know, abused sexually or physically? by a teacher or a pastor or a coach or a neighbor or a family member, you weren't really paying attention. You didn't have a sheepdog mindset. And again, it's not about constantly looking around for threats and, you know, being at threat level 10 at all moments, right? It's just being in that yellow zone of like, okay, I'm paying attention to what's going on around me. I'm paying attention to who's in and around my car when I'm getting in and out of it, right? It's just simple stuff. And so for me, it's just another reminder because I've always been very protective of my wife. And if anything were to happen to her or befall her, that would be for me to kind of intercede. And then that only got elevated with James and it's elevated further with Elijah. And so that's my encouragement to you guys. Again, if you're not someone that knows how to fight, if you're not somebody that knows how to at least protect yourself, that's a journey that you need to be on. And guess what? You're not going to learn that in a weekend class. 
Now I'm going to go to some self-defense seminar for two hours on a Saturday and all of a sudden be able to fight off an intruder in your house or to protect your kids out in public if something's trying to happen to them, right? So there's your encouragement as far as that goes. The next thing here that I wanted to kind of talk through is I still suck at living in the moment and I can't figure out that's a good thing because I'm pretty sure it's a bad thing. But for me, I'm always looking forward to the next thing. So for a lot of you guys, uh, you're, you're like me. I don't care about road trips. In fact, I hate road trips. Like I don't want to get in the car and drive for hours and hours and hours. I care about the destination. I care about where we're going to end up. That's the big deal for me. So I remember like the first time my wife and I went to St. Louis, right? You know, to go to a Cardinals game. I was like, oh my gosh, seven and a half hours in a car. And the only thing that made it worth it is because we ended up where we drove into St. Louis, got to see the big arch. And then we went to Bush Stadium, got to see a game. It was all good, right? But that's one thing that I've carried into just life in general. I'm very excited and amped for things that are going to happen later in my son's lives. You know, when they start playing sports and going to games and practicing with them at home and we start reading books to where we can have, you know, a conversation about the book. You know, what are you learning? Dad, what did you learn when you did all this? Like, I'm looking forward to those things that are not happening now. And so that's one thing I'm trying to remind myself of is that it's a big deal that they're at the moment they're at in life. Now, I remember people saying whenever James was a few weeks old, man, take advantage of these times. You're not always going to have these times. And, you know, just really, really cherish these times. And it's like, when I look back when, when James was a few weeks old, like, I don't miss those times at all. Like, I really don't. That may make me sound like a horrible, horrible person, but I know a segment of you guys listening to this, you get it. But I don't miss those times. Like, there was not really anything I could do for him, right? I, I much prefer the time right now where I can actually interact with him and we can do stuff together and, and that type of thing. I don't miss those, those hard, early sleepless days. Like that's not really like, why, like, why would I look back on those things? But I know that that might be a little bit of a blind spot for me because I don't want to think that at every age. Cause right now James is somewhat coordinated and he can do some things, but a few years from now, he's going to be more coordinated and we can do even more things together in a physical nature. He'll be more developmentally so we can have more conversations, but I do want to try to, to start acknowledging the moment a little more. That doesn't mean I'm going to just live in the now. I, I guess I'm always kind of future focused in, in that degree, but I do need to work on that. Uh, that is something that I, that I should make some changes in that area. And the last thing I want to talk to, uh, talk through before we kind of wrap up is just the, the next step, which is every time you have a kid, everyone kind of asks the next step. And so we're starting to evaluate in this household what a, you know, quote unquote, complete Thompson household looks and feels like. So there are people that like, they feel like the family is just not quite there. And then they get a dog and they feel like the family's com complete. Then some people feel like, you know, the family's not quite complete. And then they get a cat, which means they worship Satan because cats are terrible. But for us, it's like, okay, we have a couple of dogs. We have a couple of kids, both sons. For me, I never wanted a daughter. I don't know if I've kind of talked through all that on this podcast. And here I feel like, hey, I have to pay for two rehearsal dinners and no wedding. So I feel like that's pretty good at this point. You know, I, I've never had that overwhelming desire to be, you know, uh, you know, a girl dad and all those different things. I always wanted sons and God has blessed me and, and given me sons. And that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbled. But we have been talking about kind of what what does our house look like. As of right now, it seems like we're fairly content with, with having two kids. Neither one of us were always big family people. We didn't come from big families. Like I have one sibling. She has one sibling. Uh, we love that, you know, these 
two boys get to interact with each other and they're going to be close enough in age where they can interact and, and learn from one another and and uh, do those types of things. We want them to be friends. Our household will be one that if you are feuding with your brother, uh, you can't go hang out with your other friends until you have true uh, reconciliation with your brother, with your blood. And so, but for us, we don't really see a scenario where where a third Thompson kid or a fourth Thompson kid is is in the cards, but we haven't made the definitive decisions in that. But I know that that's always going to be the question, and I've already been asked that a freaking a hundred times since our baby's been born: is when are you going to have a third and that type of thing? Don't really see it in the cards, but it certainly might happen. Uh, but before we wrap up today, I'm going to go back to the scripture from the very beginning of this podcast, and that is Psalm 127, three through five, because uh, that was the scripture that I that I read after Elijah was born. Is a scripture that I shared. Uh, I think it's very, very important. But I do want to break it down a little bit more. But I'll go ahead and reread it here again. Psalm 127, three through five. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So the author of the 127th Psalm is Solomon. And kind of the major theme of the 127th Psalm is God. Well, I guess the the major theme of this particular area is the sovereignty in family life. Okay. And really the entire book is about his sovereignty, but in sovereignty is kind of a weird word. We don't really kind of use that in modern parlance. A lot of us don't, but it just means supreme power and authority. That's what sovereignty means. Supreme power and authority. So this little section verses three through five, that's God's sovereignty in family life. Now, as I was prepping for this podcast, I was reading through, I got a new, a couple of new commentaries and I actually want to read through what the Moody Bible commentary. So you guys can see this on screen. If you're watching it on YouTube, I actually want to read what the Moody Bible commentary says about Psalm 127 verses three through five, because I thought it was a really good encapsulation of what, what this is, is should mean for us. So let me go and get into that here again. This is the Moody Bible commentary. In the agrarian culture of Israel, children were the key to a successful family, and the absence of offspring was a family disaster. The point is that if God does give children, they are to be viewed as a gift, you know, the inheritance or property of the Lord. This inheritance he has in turn entrusted to human parents for proper care and nurture, both physically and spiritually. Children, the fruit of the womb, are a reward because only the Lord can create life. Godly people throughout the scriptures valued, protected, and taught their children as the Lord commanded. This does not suggest that children are the only or even the best gift God can give, or that if one does not or cannot have children, one is lacking an important gift of God and is somehow less favored by him. Yet children were the blessing in ancient times and compared to arrows in the hands of a warrior. For like arrows, adult children could provide protection for the family in times of danger and would provide honor to the family at the gate of the city. Depending on how these arrows or children are shaped, drawn, and aimed, they may either miss the intended target or hit it on the bullseye. Given the messianic context of this psalm, Solomon may be indicating that the final realization of the Davidic covenant is given to his beloved as a gift of the Lord, that is, at a time to be decided by him alone and apart from the work of his people. And the big thing that I keyed in on here, guys, is this one part here. Depending on how these arrows or children are shaped, drawn, and aimed, they may either miss the intended target or hit it on the bullseye. And so that's the thing for me. I feel a lot of pressure as a dad. And some people automatically, when they say they're feeling pressure, there's people that just want to rush in and be like, oh, no, 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 don't feel pressure. You don't need to feel pressure. It's going to affect your life. Things are going to go wrong. You don't want to put that much pressure on yourself. Absolutely not. The, the, the best way to avoid pressure is not to avoid it. It's, it's to enforce it. It's to put pressure down. 
And so I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I know my wife has put a lot of pressure on herself to make sure that we are forming these arrows in a good way, that we are setting them up to be shot in a good way, that when we shoot them, that there are no problems that we can foresee and fix on our own. Because when we shoot these boys out into the world at some point, we want to make sure they hit the bullseye. And again, to reiterate, I know I can't control that. I have a very controlling personality. That's going to be a shock to everyone listening to this podcast. But that's the thing that I really want to focus on is making sure that they are as prepared as they can possibly be within my power with God working through me. I want them to be as sharp as possible. I want them to be as godly as possible. I want them to know when they go out in the world that there's going to be issues that will befall them, but they have the tools to care for themselves and for the people around them. Because that's what legacy is. For a lot of guys, and and I myself fall into this and, and still do and probably still will as I move forward, we're very concerned about handing down stuff. You know, we want to hand down firearms. We want to hand down money. We want to hand down property. We want to hand down our name. You know, we built up our name and, you know, we want the blank family name to, to be carried on and still have honor and all those different things. And to a certain degree, all those things are fine. Like, I'm so excited to, to get heirlooms that my dad is going to give me from his family, right? Like, I, I like that. that. That's cool. I've already got heirlooms that I'm going to give to my sons, like, you know, knives and firearms and, you know, cool stuff and letters from, from grandparents, stuff like that. Like, I, I, we got all that. But if all that were to fade away or to go away or burn up in a fire or get carried off in a tornado or something like that, what am I leaving my sons with? Because if I'm only leaving them with stuff, if I'm only busting my tail so I can, you know, make all this money and get all this property and do all these other different things, and then that's what I leave them, that's good. Those are good things, right? You know, passing those things on. But do they know how to be a man? Do they know how to steward well the things that I'm entrusting to them? Do they know how to think and problem solve things that money doesn't help with, an extra firearm doesn't help with, you know, a cool custom-made knife doesn't help with? Are they able to love their spouse and children well, Lord willing, someday? Those are the things that I'm really thinking about. So for you guys as fathers out there that are listening to this, these children are an arrow in your quiver, and you are a warrior, okay? And like a warrior, you have to have arrows. A warrior needs arrows just like we need our sons, just like we need our children. Because in that day, the sons would serve uh, you know, as protectors of their aged fathers. Like that, That's an obvious thing that would happen in our modern culture. We basically put our aged fathers in homes and go visit them when it's convenient for us. It's a very, very different time now than it was back then when this was written thousands of years ago. But it's still important for all of us to understand and to recognize what our role is in forming these children. Because if you don't form them, they will still be formed by somebody. It could be by a street gang. It could be by knuckleheads at school. It could be by evil teachers, maybe even by some good teachers. It could be by the pastors at your church, but it is your job to catechize your children. It is your job to formulate your children. And if you're not putting in the time and effort, someone's going to. So you should take that to heart and make sure you plan for it. 
All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost out on Daunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the two links I've got for you today, I've got a link to our donation page on the Undaunted Life website, and I've also got a link to episode 134, where I talked about the welcoming of sweet baby James. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.